From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast presented by Scree here. Each and every week we tell you about Scree, and now we have passed the big online shopping season of Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I hope that you, if you've been listening, that you went out and take uh, took advantage of some of those big sale events that they had going on for that time of the year, like every year. But if if you didn't, and you're looking to make a Christmas list, check out Scree. You know, down south. December is really, and really into January, is really a um, kind of our wheelhouse for, for deer season. And um, it is not too late to get in some new gear, take advantage of the performance, layering system, style of clothing. Scree has a layer for everything. This wild weather that we have, we're going from rainy and warm to cold and back and forth day after day. Um, you hear us talk about a lot of the different items that we like, that we all wear <clears throat> on the podcast, but... Check it out for yourself. Go and follow them on social media. Go to the YouTube channel. You'll find information and uh, videos and and just everything about the gear and what they are and uh, what they offer. And um, you can kind of see for yourself what it is to, you know, to use performance layering type of hunting gear. And uh, the best thing about shopping with Scree and really what the company's been built on is the customer service first approach with a lifetime warranty um very open uh they 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 very rarely if ever turn away a claim for warranty on their products they stand behind them and there's a customer sizing or customer service guarantee but a vip sizing guarantee so when you order online you can do that with confidence because you're going to get prepaid shipping labels and they're going to take care of all of that uh shipping expense and make the the, the process as easy as possible to get you the right size and make sure that you are set up and ready to go um, with your new stuff as quickly as possible. Customer service is the name of the game. And uh, shop them online today. Follow them on social media. Find out about the gear. You won't be disappointed. Screegear.com. So here we are and uh, about to get into December. And <clears throat> um, this is the 100th episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. And uh, so we got, we got a, uh, we'll call it a special guest for this, this episode, but uh, special in his very own way. But before I get to him, <laughs> Levi and Colin are with me. What's up, guys? What's going on, man? How you doing? What's up? Um, You guys got any, any, any uh, updated news or developments in your current hunting situation? you would like to share at the beginning of this year podcast yes i have something and it's not good okay <laughs> i'm not gonna go too much into detail but i don't have a place to hunt right now a, a lease to hunt at at this very moment uh, we've run into a little bit of a, a roadblock um with some stuff and 
we're working through it right now, and I don't think it's going to last long, but I'm not hunting right now. There's nothing like having land access issues when you're a private land hunter right at Thanksgiving. Perfect yeah. timing. After you've done all the work, hung all the stands, planted all the food plots, done all the <laughs> scouting, waited on some cooler weather, thinking about maybe a rut happening any given week. Now, anytime I go, I'm going to see some rut activity. It's almost that time, and then, boom, we've got issues with land. That's why you just need to nut up and buy your own property, Colin. Yep. That's why you need to visit our friend Slade Priest, the hunting land man, <laughs> for your own yep. property. So, I mean, I, I think it's going to be resolved fairly soon um like before hopefully before our rut but i don't know like you said it's just kind of a private land pain in the ass but that's about it right now anything new with you levi no just still getting good still getting uh good pictures got a picture (laughs) of a sheeter uh monday morning 7 30 in the morning just posing right in front of my camera Mm -hmm. while you were drinking your coffee at work yeah I no, a... I was on lunch break at seven thirty, Colin. <laughs> Early morning. Um, maybe you need to stick that dog on it. <laughs> if you can hear that dog, that dog—he's not much for sicking. <laughs> um, well, I um, I I I just I I don't have anything to add. I have really haven't hunted, so I don't I don't really have anything to say. <laughs> Uh, I, it's been, it's been a tough year for me and, uh, I'm going to try to go hunting in the morning, but I feel, you know, I've had, I kind of felt like I was going to start pushing myself to hunt a little bit more this week. And I have had kind of like a cold sinus situation going on and I've had this weird, just, it's not an anomaly. That was a really bad word for me to try to use here. I, like my camera picture stuff has gone to crap this week and i wasn't like taking a bunch of pictures of you know it's not like levi's situation where i had a couple of shooters that i've been getting pictures of pretty I, I didn't have that but i had a lot of deer activity i had a lot of young bucks and i'm like okay any minute now any day now one of these nights i'm gonna catch a decent buck following a doe because that's like the how the activity was increasing last week you know it was a lot yeah. of do- does moving before day before dark and then a lot of little bucks kind of come along behind them at night and out in the food. I got a couple of cameras on food plots, so I'm just kind of – they're like observation cameras, if that makes sense. They're just pointing at a food plot, and inevitably, if they feed around in those – they don't have really big food plots. So inevitably, if they feed around in these food plots, I'm going to get a picture of what's out there. And usually, yeah. when I do this, I'll get pictures of does, and I'll see a buck standing off behind them. And, you know, but this week, I have just – I don't know what happened. Like, I'm not getting much at all. Um, that I don't think the deer disappeared, but it's hard for motivation, you know. So yeah, I think we're supposed to get some good weather here the next two or three days. Thirty seven. I mean, I don't know about statewide, but I'm in you know kind of the, not really South Louisiana, but southern part of the state, and it's supposed to be 37 in the morning. North winds the next two mornings, and uh, <clears throat> it's supposed to some, warm back up early in the week next week yeah well mm-hmm. we're in that pattern right it's up and down up and down and you know uh but i think that we're also getting to that point in time where scattered around the state in different locations you're you know going to start getting rut reports uh, right uh 
yeah, I, I, I went out <clears throat> earlier this week on my property, and um, I actually, for, for people that are private land guys, I don't know if you do this. I do this. I don't know that this is necessarily a tip or anything, but I do it, and I've had good luck with it. Um, I put urea fertilizer on all my plots before this rain came through yesterday. And it's not hard to do if you don't have a huge piece of property. I mean, like, I have 400 acres, and I have nine food plots, and the biggest one's, like, three-quarters of an acre, maybe an eight, you know, eight-tenths of an acre-type size. It's, um, and, you, you know, with urea, it's a nitrogen, you know, either 3300 or 4500, and it's, like, 50 pounds an acre. You really can't put too much of it out because it'll burn up i don't i'm not i don't know that much about herpetology but it'll burn up the the grass and stuff if you put too much of it and if you don't do it with the rain and all that but um so i was out doing that uh day before yesterday before the rain came through yesterday um and i actually saw a bunch of rubs i don't have pictures of any of those deer but they're they're rubbing trees in different places and um I saw some scrapes this weekend out walking around scouting. So they're okay. So you mentioned that, and I want your uh, I want your opinion on something then, or both of your opinions. Uh, I this pro I've been hunting my property here now for uh, I think this is the sixth season, and this property just does not have very many scrapes. I see a few, but when I see one. They hardly, it's like they don't ever revisit them when they make them. I mean, very rarely have I found a scrape on my place that was hit more than two or three times, and then it's abandoned. Like, I, and in most places I've ever hunted in my life, during the rut or pre-rut, you'll find areas where there's a scrape line, and you'll find five or six scrapes, and they kind of keep them throughout a month's time frame kind of thing. You know, for some reason, this place where I'm hunting, it's just, I'll find scrapes every year, but they're never a pattern to them. It's never like a line of scrape. They're just random. Like, mm-hmm. there'll be a random scrape on the side of the road, and it'll be fresh a time or two, and then a week later it's gone. They never touch it again. I, hmm. yep. I don't – have you ever seen I that would before? Just, yeah, on our place, I mean, we – it's kind of weird. There's a – it may be not in the – same exact spot on the, under the same exact branch but you know they'll hit i guess kind of an area i guess i'm not a big scrape hunter though i don't i've never really had any luck you always hear that deer you know mostly work scrapes at night but i mean it kind of depends on where you find them if you find them on the side of the road 300 yards from any cover of course they're going to be hitting those at night but you know can you find them in and around bedding areas, you know, possibly? I've never really had a lot of luck hunting scrapes, but I do see I see them from time to time get worked by bucks, but I've had I'm I've not. had success hunting around scrapes where I feel like I'm seeing deer and they're they're checking those scrapes like winding them. They're not necessarily working them. Mhm. But yeah. the scrapes are just I'm I'm with you. I don't I mean I have done it. But yeah. I don't make it a habit of sitting over a scrape because it's been fresh the last couple of times I checked it. But yeah. it is typically when I hunt a place where there are scrapes, it's a good indication of the area in which I'm going to encounter a deer when he does decide to move around in the daylight. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I've, well, it kind of goes – go ahead. And I was going to say, I've hunted in areas where, you know, I'm – I'm seeing a deer slip through a thicket on the downwind side of a road, and there's a scrape line down that road, and there's really no doubt in my mind he's wind-checking those scrapes. Yes, and we talked about that maybe last podcast or podcast before last is how much they use their nose. He may be two or 300 yards from there and can smell everything he's walking by. I mean, yeah. well, especially if where you're at, easily. Yeah, well, so. if something has peed in it in the last – eight hours he's definitely gonna smell it you know mm. Mm. i don't know uh yep i just find that weird because i've never hunted a place honestly even public land that i've hunted um <clears throat> in the past when i used to hunt public land more frequently i had places where uh during the right time of the year i had places marked on this public land where i knew there were scrapes and regular activity um and i just this place just doesn't have it and i it's kind of puzzling to me it's uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I would think. Maybe. I would think like on the north side of your property, on the hardwood yeah. pine transition. I would think that that road you have that kind of runs along looks like would it, just be it? loaded with it. It looks like it, doesn't it? I have never. Believe uh, me I mean, when I tell you this. In six years, I've never seen one scrape on that road. Not one. What if that strap breaks on your lock on or your saddle? What if your boot slips while climbing up a tree early one frosty morning? We all place our lives in the confidence of our gear, safety harnesses, and lifelines, but we all need to plan for the worst with an advanced life insurance policy. Contact Jake Slocum at American National Insurance today to have a plan for you and your family if you never make it home. Call or text 318-255-0096 for a professional assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. The hunt is over for the right insurance carrier for all of your needs. Whether it's your personal, commercial, or agricultural needs, Jake Slocum at American National will have you covered. With over a decade of experience and multiple offices across the state, he'll take care of all of your needs. Whether it's auto, home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum at American National has you covered. Call or text 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. Because they're, I mean, you know, I mean, that's kind of how you hunt it. Like, well, they walk that transition, so I would just that's where we've, assume that yeah. it would be loaded. That's pretty much where we've killed every know. buck on that property for six years, is walking that transition from yeah. one side to the other, east to west, but they just don't scrape on it. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, you need to go fill your bladder up like and walk out there and pee in everyone you see. <laughs> Isn't that what they say? So, I had a guy tell me a story, just uh, as a side, before we get to our guest. Um, a guy tell me a story the other day. There's a guy, a friend of mine, that went on a whitetail hunt, an outfitted whitetail hunt in November. He not had, uh, this is a friend from out west that had never really whitetail hunted much. You know, wanted to do it, so he booked a hunt with an outfitter. And um, had hunted with me before. And I'll be, I'll just be honest. If I gotta pee, I just pee out of the stand. I just do. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I just second that. I just pee out of the stand. I mean, I just is what it is. Second but, that. Uh, I don't have a strong opinion about it. But he asked me. He's like, man, look, you know, I went hunting with you a couple of years ago, and you know, you told me just pee out of the stand. He said we went hunting with this outfitter, and they had like a strict rule to not pee around their stands. He said, but then like halfway through the hunt, we're like walking in, and the dude stops and pees in a scrape. 
And he was, I was like, dude, I don't know what to tell you about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. The only thing I can yeah. figure the the logic behind that is this guy's got set stands that he puts hunters in. You know, at certain times, he checks the cameras, he checks the stands, and he doesn't want, like, if he's sending somebody hunting there, he don't want somebody peeing there every day for a week, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, that goes back to cover sense and all that. You know, if it's if it's not something that a deer smells and associates with danger, like, the deer's going to smell it. He may be, like, curious about it, but it's not like, okay, there's... He's not going to smell it and say, that is human piss right there. I'm getting <laughs> yeah, out of here. I know That's exactly not how a deer works. I don't remember. I don't remember where I learned this or read this or heard this. I don't know, even know how I came about this. But somewhere I was informed. Let's put it that way because I don't remember. Somebody told me this or I read it somewhere. But, like, there's not that much, like, biological difference in urine from one animal to the next. Now, obviously, estrous urine and stuff like that, but just plain urine, it's the body is processing fluid, and it's mostly water anyway. And, you know, there's not that much difference between, you know, obviously I think a deer knows the difference between a predator's pee and a deer's pee, but... Does a deer know the difference between your pee and a coyote and the neighbor's dog and a bobcat and a coon and a, like all this other stuff that eats meat and vegetables and everything else that we eat? I mean, you know, like, do they know the difference? I wouldn't uh, think. But that, you know, somebody so, smarter than me would have to chime in on that. I don't know. Well, I got somebody smarter than you to chime in on it. Um, <laughs> he is the man. Kyler, first of all, I want your opinion on peeing. And second of all, I want to know how that crossbow's treating you. Well, the uh, first of all, it's great to be back. Hundredth episode, that's really cool. Um, but I would—I'll tell you that my piss smells like white sugar-free monster. So I can tell you, it doesn't taste—it doesn't taste or, or smell like anything else in the woods. Okay. Um, so, like, I understand if like if we're all drinking heavy amounts of water, then yeah, it's probably indistinguishable. But but white sugar-free monster piss has to smell. Very different from regular piss, you know. Um, it's like you know, Brondo has a plant, plants crave. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much just drinking Brondo every day and pissing that out. You know, from um, uh, what's that movie? Um, uh, Idiocracy. So um, anyway, how have you been? But the, we're good. But the question still is: a deer doesn't know what a white monster is. <laughs> Right, I mean, he's not confusing it with anything else. I mean, it's, it's, it can't be a raccoon, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I mean, unless the raccoon's been in my trash can, you know, drinking white monsters also. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm, to answer your question, I don't think it hurts anything. I don't, I don't think it hurts anything at all. Um, I think, um, I think white, uh, white. I think human piss or peeing in and around stuff, and even in scrapes. Um, I, I think it's just kind of like how we kind of agreed a couple of years ago on ozonic. Doesn't hurt, doesn't help. Like might give you a little bit of curiosity and get them to stick around longer, but I don't think it's threatening, and they don't think it's threatening, and, so, and uh, I don't think it causes any issues. So let me ask your opinions about this then. So if you were to partake in coitus, 
in a in a reasonable time frame before you pee in a scrape, could it then have more of a strong smell? If I was to it partake in what? Coitus. Sexual relations. Coitus? Yeah, coitus. Coitus. I'm a virgin. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Well. Yeah, so I don't know. I wouldn't didn't know. Deep, yeah. Um, I would Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Locke, I, I wouldn't know where I your mind uh, was going when you came up with that. I'm thinking about the fact that. <laughs> what the hell was wrong with you? I'm thinking about the fact that the only difference between us peeing in a scrape and a buck peeing in a scrape is when a buck pees in a scrape, he's got, like, hormones going on specifically designed for breeding and sexual interaction. That's why he's doing it. So it is intermingled and mixed in with his pee. It's not just pee. It's also hormones because that's how nature works, right? So if you've got the same hormones raging through your body when you pee, does it smell more real? I don't know. I'm... I'll call my wife and we can yeah, try and do some one. testing. You know, <laughs> we need to data, yeah. we need to data mine this whole game subject. cams. Get 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 some game cams, find some oh, scrapes, man. and, and uh, go on a long weekend with the wife and and uh, do some testing. You know, see so, how the deer interact. We'll, yeah. need, we'll need a we'll need a oh, control. Man. You know, we'll need one. So anyway, well, this is going great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you actually have my crossroads. Oh, yeah, is doing which which one? The yeah. one, the one which that one? You, the one that you have to cock and load before you shoot it. Not not the one that you can cock and hold in your hand the whole hunt. I still, you know, I'm pretty. I'm a very deliberate person, and I almost always follow through on things I'm going to do, even when I'm being facetious. And unfortunately, that one hasn't been pursued yet. I I never did follow through on that one. I threatened to do it, and then. Uh, and then didn't. So I need to. I need to uh, add that back to the list. Yeah. So, so, what's your opinion? You've been listening to us get this started, and you are a uh, obviously a, a public land guy. And uh, but you uh, you're pretty diverse in that. You know, you hunt a variety of different different pieces of property, and so you're seeing. Um, I guess you know. It's not the same place all the time, so different herds of deer, different different amounts of pressure in different places. What is your opinion on the scrape conversation, and what do you see different in scrape activity from places that have heavy scrape activity to places that don't have much? I mean, can you correlate any of that to, to how you hunt? A um, couple of lessons that I've learned over the years, just like hard lessons in general, is like, uh, and I had to relearn this again in Oklahoma this year, you, you hunt where deer are, not where you hope, not where you'd like to kill one. Okay. Like that. And I know that sounds obvious, but th- I think we've all run across like these, you know, euphoric, like oasis deer hunting spots. And like we have these fantasies of killing a deer here and that would just be the best thing ever, but there's no deer sign and there, or, or it's real weak deer sign or whatever. And so my, my opinion on scrapes and all that is you find in a place of scrapes and grubs, those are obviously territorial or community um, social community markers for the deer herd. If that spot is proven deer activity, but it isn't like beautiful and you're like a place you'd like to hunt, I'm going to hunt there. I, I have never, I'm, I'm just like, I was agreeing with Levi when he was talking, I've never had any luck hunting scrapes. That's never been something I've done, but I will use scrapes and rubs to dictate whether or not a place is worth my time. 
um, even if it's just for a few hunts and then move on. And, um, you know, the thing about obviously both of those things, scrapes and rubs is, rubs is, you know, early season, you see rubs pop up cause they're trying to get velvet off mid season. You see them pop up for territory reasons. And then same thing with scrapes. Um, and it's when it's mid season and I'm finding that in the moment and it's fresh and brand new. And I feel like I'm hours or maybe a day or two away on either side of a deer, visiting something well that's a spot that that's worth my time or at least worth considering hunting more if i don't have a better option um but i don't i mean i have never in my life if there's a scrape i'm hunting that tree right there um i think there's just too much easily found data saying that most scrapes are hit at night regardless of location but like but like levi said the further they are out in the open the more vulnerable the deer is the more late at night it's probably going to get hit but but then again you know they do hit a percentage. What is it like 70% are hit at night? You have a 30% chance that it might get hit during the day. But then you also yeah. run the risk of like, well, you said lock. Is there a lot of times you're just wind checking them? Well, if you're set up near a scrape and you're obviously facing upwind, um, whatever, whichever direction that is, and a deer, a buck, is going to check it, well, he's just going to walk behind you. And that's if you even see him. You know, um, hopefully you get a shot at him. But that was just never a tactic that I ever cared about. I've always, and I've, I've, you know, from, from the day we interviewed um, Warren Womack and, and even before that, I've always been a feed tree hunter and then during the rut, a travel route hunter. And that's it. Um, and then I, I will hone in on certain areas depending on information. Scrapes are a part of that, but I don't weigh it very heavily in the, the uh, info scale, information scale, if you will. So, well said. So, looking at a situation like I presented and let's just let's just hypothetically say that for whatever reason you found yourself limited to one place to hunt whether it be one piece of public that you could access or a private place and you know that there are bucks there and you know there are deer there you're trying to hunt but you don't see those sign markers to kind of help you figure out some of that piece of the puzzle for the travel routes during the rut and stuff like that what do you think is going like what do you think is going on when you find yourself in a place where you know there are deer there you may even see that activity when you're hunting but they're not doing what you're accustomed to in terms of the territorial markings and stuff that helps you identify how they're accessing a property whether it be community or territory Following your hypothetical here, are we talking about like a 200-acre lease, 100-acre lease, something something like that? You mean something well, small in my, that yeah, I can find in, to? In, in, my, in my place, yeah, mine's 400, and, you know, I just don't have the – I don't have the buck sign to help me figure out a, a little bit more of those pieces about how to hunt these travel routes. Yeah. Um, I mean uh, – well, first of all, I'm not gonna say that it's hard for me to answer, but you know me. I, my like the number one reason I love public land is because I'm ADD and I could just go and go and go and go and go. I can like, I'm never out of land, you know. So so for me, I you know I always you've got um you know there, there's some public land guys that mm. kind of stick their nose up at public land and they're like oh well I, you know I like this and I like set stands and I like 
you know, to, to have my safety line hooked up to the tree and I clip in and climb and everything's done and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, when the deer are on your property, what do you do? Play Tetris on your phone? You know, what, what, you know, what are your, what's your option at that point? Congratulations. Everything is set up and nobody's coming to dinner. Congratulations. Fantastic. Enjoy your 200 acres with no deer on it, you know? And, and, um, and that's just never, I mean, don't get me wrong. We all go through periods in which we were like well me right now i'm kind of in a rut i'm like what does a deer look like You're like what well, i'm look, i'm googling white-tailed deer in the stand just in case one walks out i'm like oh that's what they are and and so the, you know i like for example i hunted um what's today wednesday i hunted sunday all day sunday not a, not a full day sit i hunted one place in the morning one place in the evening and I hunted public land and dude i was you, if I I was on the X, I felt like in both spots for good defendable, like principle. This is why I'm hunting here. Reason, like I'm not just whimsically picking a tree and hanging a fan and thinking I'm gonna kill something. I'm like, this is the X. Like this is the tit spot. I'm gonna see some shit. Both of them skunked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolute zero. <laughs> Saw nothing but two armadillos, one at each spot, morning and evening, and and it's just. And, and so those aren't bad spots, but that day the deer weren't there. But we all go through that. And the difference between me and private, private land and public land is if I go through two or three of those, I will ride an area off, possibly for a whole season. Um, I haven't answered your question yet, uh, and I'm rambling, so I apologize. But <laughs> to answer your question, I know there are deer using this property, but they might not. Like, if, first of all, if I'm hunting, if I'm hunting a, a small piece of private land i'm probably not continually scouting it number one okay so like what i mean by that is i go in there pre-season post-season mid-season whenever i want to go find some deer sign and set up on it but typically pre-season based on last year's info and i set up my stands and i set up you know maybe feed sites or you know this is good for a rut spot or this is when the white oaks are dropping them and be over here but honestly you know when you're hunting a piece of property that's small you're not walking it every time you go hunting you know you're going to pressure it and blow it out and so that i think to answer your question more directly if i'm not seeing the sign that i would expect to be seeing then i would kind of equate that to be like okay they aren't where i predetermined they would be this year um, you know, I either need to go mobile and move around or I need to scout some more. I don't know. I mean, I would just treat it like public land at that point in time, but, but know that I've got some really small boundaries, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's definitely a, a riddle that I haven't exactly or you solved. Can just play Tetris. Yeah. Play Tetris. Just yeah. Hunt, you know, play life. words of friends or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I, um, uh, well, yeah, I've got to actually I, uh, go hunting really like truthfully, like, Step step one in this in in figuring out this riddle is I have to actually get up out of the bed and go hunt and see if there's not <laughs> That's part of it. You know, I, <laughs> I, I have hunted like three times this year, so yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not really giving it a fair shot. I'm just going and checking my cameras and working on my food plots and being like, damn, there's no scrapes here. <laughs> you know, it's not, I'm not <laughs> getting, <laughs> scouting. I'm not fair. I'm not giving it a fair shake. Really, I don't know about you guys. But whenever deer season rolls around, I almost immediately start dreaming of chasing big bucks in the Midwest during the November rut. There's not a better state to do it than Kansas. 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. 180 Outdoors offers free-range fair chase Kansas hunting at its finest in one of the best parts of the country, Southeastern Kansas. 
They offer guided and non-guided deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunts. But one of the things they do that's very different is they're also land professionals, and they offer leases on proven farms that produce giant whitetails. So if you've ever wanted to have your own Kansas farm where you can run your own cameras, do your own scouting, and get the full Midwest whitetail experience, 180's got a number of Kansas farms listed on their website right now at hunt180.com, or you can give them a call and find out what else they make and hook you up with at 620-325-4093. Guided, non-guided, lodging, whitetail, deer, turkey, waterfowl, leases, recreational land purchase, anything you need, 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. Hunt180.com. But uh, I don't know. I, but it, it's, not just, it's not just what's happening. Yeah, you know, It's just an interesting topic for this time of the year, and I'm bringing it up for podcast conversation. But it, it, but in all seriousness, it's not really something that's happening right now. It's a trend that I have that I have noticed over six years. This is the only property that I've ever hunted that has just, a, I mean, a notable lack of buck sign compared to the amount of deer that I know are on the property. You know, and I so that's don't a great know. point. I I've got a question for you. I've got something I want your opinion on. I thought this was. Odd thing I've never heard before, ever. When I was in Oklahoma, <clears throat> we were hunting a lake. We pulled out one day, and um, there was a guy that had, that had also been hunting the lake, and he was a local. Um, and uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, he was way too nice to us, way too forthcoming, gave us way too much information. I actually pulled him aside, and I was like, listen, dude, thank you. You have to not tell people so much stuff, <laughs> okay? Like, like after us, like keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody anything else, <laughs> okay? Thank you for the info. Don't say anything else because we went to Oklahoma and we saw nothing, no, like no rubs, no scrapes, no nothing. And I mean, I, I'll finish the story. I can tell you why in a few minutes. But, um, but he said something that I'm. I'm just repeating this. I want to know what y'all think. He said verbatim, yeah, sometimes when the deer herd's really good, they don't, they run into each other so much in person that they don't lay down a lot of signs. And this is an old timer guy. This is the kind of guy, this is like, I'm not going to say grandfather age, but definitely like late fifties, early sixties. Like this is a guy that when he says something, you don't really doubt it. But I, I thought in my mind at the moment, I was like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life um, was, and I, I literally nodded and smiled and I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, thanks guy. Man, good luck. You know, what, what do you think about that? So, do you think it's possible that the deer, there's so many deer, they don't need to leave any sign. For so I, I'll say this, I'll say this on, on the no. face, on the face of it. I'm with you. I'm like looking at the guy trying to be nice and not have this. What in the hell are you talking about? Look on my face. But yeah. if I think about it more, like, it just in terms of animal science, like, there is distinguishable difference in animal behavior, all different kinds of animals, <clears throat> depending on, you know, like, for example, when you're training dogs or, you know, and I'm not talking about, like, heavily training hunting dogs. I'm just talking about obedience training house dogs. If you have four mm -hmm. dogs in the house, they act completely different than if you have one dog. You know, uh, in every or way. You have, or you have one dog, and then you remove it and add two, add another dog that knows there's another dog that yeah, was like, there so, before but isn't there now. So animal, yeah. behavior is, animal behavior is affected by how much they share their environment with other animals. So 
I do think there's some validity to this idea that, like, let's just say, yeah, okay, so we, here's an example that, I, that, I'll, that I'll play into this. We've all heard in the quality deer management world, you all hear the term buck-to-doe ratio, right? So mm-hmm. it's commonly discussed how when you have a buck-to-doe ratio that's really advantageous to the hunter, you have, you know, a ratio to where the bucks are really competing for the does, and there's a lot more activity in that territorial that, that you want to see from a deer stand. You see the bucks um, really cruising, trying to find those does because there's not many of them, whereas if you have a property where your buck-to-doe ratio is out of skew and there's a bunch of does, the bucks don't act the same way because they don't have to because there's way more does, and they don't really have to compete with other bucks and compete for territory. So does that affect the sign that they put on the ground that's their God-given nature of how they act, that part I don't know, but I do know that animal behavior in general is affected by, you know, what they share their environment with. So there, I, I, can, I, can, I can give deep thought to that theory just from that perspective. That makes sense? I mean, yeah. I would just well, think, like, I, go ahead. I would more. listen to it, but... I, I we've hunted the same place for most of my life and we've gone through the phase where we've had an inordinate amount of deer on our property and when there's a huge population and we've always seen a lot of scrapes and rubs deer are just very social animals when especially when it comes to being around the rut i mean well, that's I, how I, they communicate with each other well i'll tell you this kyler and in just the only experienced opinion or input i can give to to that in my lifetime i grew up hunting in a large hunting camp in southwest mississippi where it was just kind of katie bar the door right like any buck you could get a chance to shoot was few and far between there was no deer management and we ran deer dogs, and, and there's a bunch of people hunting. I mean, it was community, old-school deer hunting. And in those days, you very rarely ever saw a buck chasing a doe. You rarely ever hunted for any kind of, like, buck. Like, it, there just wasn't a lot of strategy to it, and there were way, there were does everywhere. There weren't a lot of bucks. There were not very many quality bucks. The, the buck-to-doe ratio was terrible. Every buck that that showed its face in the daylight got shot and you just the rut was just not really a thing it was just deer hunting you just shot whatever was legal whenever you could because there was just so many people hunting and so much hunting pressure and then as i grew up i've hunted those properties in my life and then i've hunted other places that have been managed for um you know a more healthy deer herd and there's a better buck to doe ratio and there's more bucks, a better age structure, and when you hunt those places, there's an obvious difference in the amount of buck sign that you see, the amount of buck activity that you see around the rut. The deer act completely different. So I do think that, you know, if you're like in, in – I, I know I know kind of generally the area of Oklahoma you were hunting because we hunted uh, not far from there in Kansas this year, and with the, with the drought conditions they had in that area, it was a very Ooh, unusual year. Did they have a deer herd change this year that just really threw things out of whack and put it in a different place than it was in years past? I mean, I, 
it's not as far fetched as I would like to take that guy's statement on like off the cuff. It seems kind of crazy, but if you think about it, it's hard to imagine that being that drastic of a change in one year because of one summer drought. But you know, if you think deeper about it, I guess there's there's some things that you could kind of put against that statement and go, well, I don't know. I mean, it still seems far fetched, but maybe maybe there is some deer herd issues going on with the weather and and all that stuff. So I I, well, I, I don't think what, that that's totally true, but I can get where he could derive that something kind of like that. He he said that early. He said that early in in our trip, early in the week. Like we met this guy on pretty much day one, and um. And we didn't really know what to expect yet. You know, we hadn't really, really started hunting yet. We had our spots from the year before, but we hadn't really started hunting yet. And um, let me put it to you like this, because I forgot that y'all were, we weren't hunting far from each other. Um, I don't know if it was the exact same time or not, but the drought was bad, um, really bad, affected the herd majorly. Um, but the buck to doe ratio was in, incredibly out of whack. I made a hunt on the second and night, second to last night there, where we finally were figuring out the way the deer were moving, the way they were entering and exiting public land and private land. We were figuring out specifically how they were getting in and out, what routes they were taking, et cetera. And between 4:30 and this is uh, this is I think this is the week before daylight savings time, possibly. Um, 4.30 and 5.45 p.m., I had 21 deer walk by in bow range, zero bucks, nothing behind them at all, anywhere. I saw one shooter buck all week on sand, and it was about 75 yards from me, um, and I grunted at him, and he I, he, he ran to Kansas for, for a fact. That deer now lives in Kansas. Um, I grunted at him one time, and he was like, I got to go. This is, this is too much. I didn't realize there was another buck in the state. I'm leaving. That sounds um, a lot like so, our hunt, a whole lot like our golly, hunt. Golly, man. Um, maybe he came from y'all. Maybe he was running from y'all. I think I rattled and, at him, and he ran down to Oklahoma, and then you grunted at him, yeah, and he decided and to I go back home. and I grunted him, and he ran back, ran back north. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, golly, man. It was, you know, because I, I went, well, I went to Missouri and Oklahoma this year, um, and really have nothing to show for it at all. I got a picture of an old man in a, in a 1957 Chevrolet. You're like, this is what I got. I'll tell you that story in a minute. Um, but, uh, I was in Oklahoma for a solid week, seven days, and, um, nobody at all shot a good buck. I mean, David O'Donnell shot a decent buck. It's what we call a burner buck, um, cause Oklahoma, you get two tags. And so you kind of shoot, you know, burn the first one on a, on a decent buck because your chances of shooting two hammers in Oklahoma is kind of low. Um, and, uh, and so he shot a burner buck. And then I do have, um, this is a fantastic term. Um, our, our buddy Hunter Foray that was with us, he, um, you know, you have a group text going, obviously. And, uh, he, he texts us all and he, he said, I shot a buck. And of course, we have questions. How big is he? What, you know, tell us about it, whatever. And he, <laughs> you know, when like you see like the text bubble like pop up and then like it goes away and then it pops up and it goes away. Somebody's typing and then they stop typing and stop typing, start typing and mm-hmm. stop typing. And he finally goes, he goes, well, he's, he's a pretty good meat buck. And I was like, <laughs> meat, meat buck? 
<laughs> what is a meat fuck? You know, I said, I said, are you telling me that the most redeeming quality of this deer is the meat on his body? Is that like, is that what you shot? And he was like, well, he has like antlers, and we're like, okay, uh, okay. And he's like, yeah, there's like you know main beams and like a few points, and we're like, what did you shoot, man? <laughs> you know, he's like a shot of meat fuck. And so the, I, we've now been, we've now coined, the, he has coined the term meat buck. I've been using that excessively now. Um, and uh, nobody shot anything good. Nobody shot anything like, you know, what you go out of state to shoot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they kind of laid the hammer on some does. <laughs> At the end of the trip, <clears throat> I had to leave a little early because of work stuff. Uh, I had to leave both places early because of work stuff. But, um it was tough in the Midwest this year. It really was. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough for us too, and I think most of our problem was just timing. We were, we were there, as well, we were we were there for nine days, and kind of right in the middle of it, daylight saving time hit, and it was just warm, south winds the whole time, and we had I had been running cameras on the properties we were hunting since August, and we had plenty of bucks to hunt, plenty of them, and when we got there. It, the weather just shut them down. I mean, just shut them down. We were seeing 20, 25 does hitting these ag fields and stuff and just nothing, you know, nothing. Mm, I mean, yeah. spikes, three points occasionally. And, you know, to, to, I mean, really, when I say it sounded like our hunt, we saw one shooter buck and he was about 75 yards away. And we called at him and he left. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, yeah. that pretty much how our hunt went too. So, uh the only thing that uh which is not a positive at all but the only other thing that happened was we were walking to our stand one night or one morning right before daylight and uh, we're like 100 yards from our stand and my cell phone camera dings in my pocket and i look and it's one of the shooters and he's literally looking at us we're 100 yards from him with our headlamps shining right in his eyes and he i've got a picture of him looking at us walking to the stand i'm like well there goes that. So <laughs> we just went two miles back here in the back of this bean field just to walk up on the deer before daylight, and and actually had to know it. I, I sometimes wonder about that. Like, would it have just been better for my psyche after hunting for five days and no activity to not have gotten that picture and to just not knew he was there? You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, ignorance is bliss at that point. For okay. sure. So, yeah. all right, I want to do something, and I'm going to uh, preface you with this Kyler I have no earthly idea what we're fixing to get into I don't know anything about this Colin said he has something that he wants to do on the podcast it's kind of an over under betting kind of thing and I want you to take part in it Kyler but I don't know anything about it so Colin have at it if you're looking to buy your very own hunting property or maybe you got a piece of property that you're looking to sell you need to contact our friend Slade Priest the hunting land man a licensed realtor with Southern States Realty and a land pro with Realtree United Country Hunting Properties, Slade's more than just a real estate agent. As the host of the Sportsman Channel television show Trained Assassins and Hunt United on the Realtree 365 app, as well as his new digital series Hunting Land Man on Waypoint TV, his life has always been centered around the outdoors and God's creation. With the ability to leverage years of experience, knowledge, and a unique perspective gained from working in the family's timber and wildlife business, Slade just understands the recreational land market, and he gets results. Nobody sells more in Mississippi and Louisiana. To search for your new hunting property, visit huntinglandmanms.com or contact Slade at 601-888-0094 for a free consultation.
right, so we'll we'll do two of them. It's kind of like it's kind of like the tier list thing, but it's not a tier list. So you know how like you like on a sports bet, you can like bet the over, the under, whatever. So uh, times you've been blown at by a deer, thirty-seven and a half, over or under? Over, like uh, blown at this season or in general? All time? Yeah, all time. Thirty-seven and a half. You that's so that's like you kind of think of it. So How like you get blown at half a time. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's thirty-seven and a half. Wait, what did he, I didn't hear what he said. How, how, how do you get, how would I almost get, how do I get half blown at? Well, it's like a betting odd. No, that's, that's the bet. So it's either 38 times or 37 times. Oh, I got you. You don't, you must not right, get how, all, you know, that's how. It's like a sporting no, I, bet odd. I, okay, yeah. got you. No, I, I've never been a gambler, so you might have to explain the board game to me. All right, so all time, so am I answering now? Like, yeah, y'all over, have under. They, over, so under. So am I the, am I the bet? Well, we're all going to give our 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 bet. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm. Well, first of all, how do we figure out who's right? <laughs> this isn't a stat that I have written down somewhere. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to say. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead. Like, I'll take my wife's about, savings account to the bank on this one. It's way over. Just think about like how many yeah. how many seasons and how many times like a season. Do you it get blown be, out? That, Sometimes I get. I might get blown at that that many times before Christmas is one season. <laughs> Depends yeah. on. <laughs> but that, but that should have been triple all digits. Time, all, you yeah, think I tried to come up with a, a good line, and I mean I know I haven't been bow hunting as long or hunting as long as y'all have, but triple digits. Yeah, maybe my maybe so, the line oh, was. Let me let me put it to you this way. I've hunted, with the exception of Kansas, I've hunted something like five or six times this season and i've been blown at half of them and that's pretty well, average I, so i'm no I'm, I'm talking i'm talking about like not like how many times you've heard a deer blow in the woods i'm talking about like you know for a fact like they busted you and they're blowing at you it's still way over oh yeah way over yeah Triple I, digits, um, easy. We, we didn't have any in kansas blow at us like bust us and blow at us i'll say this i, I you know in 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 my i've probably been able to go up and hunt in the midwest for about 10 years now and in that 10 years i i i you know 37 and a half is a fair line i don't know because i don't have deer blow at me in the midwest as often but in the south i i, I can easily say i'm over that number on a season average much less a career average <laughs> i don't know man well, what's your next one because i think we're all over on that are you, are you saying you're under on that colin uh, I think potentially, yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking. So let's just say, um, just call it maybe ten seasons, right? That are that's like three times a season. Uh, I get three times so, a weekend on the regular. So, so but you're zero you, this I'm, year. You haven't done anything this year. <laughs> yeah, but I'm 41. <laughs> Look. I've been blown at so many times that I laugh now. I don't even care anymore. You know, <laughs> I don't know, man. Let me. I've had deer walk behind me and not blow, and I'm like, oh, that was disappointing. I, you really let me down on that. You know, you, you could have had me. Now, think about this, Colin. In the number of times that you sat in a tree and hunted with me, how many times have we been watching a deer and I looked at you and said, "Well, she's fixing to blow at us." 
I don't. I'm trying to think when we've gotten busted and blown at since we've been hunting. Do you have a time like in your mind? Mm. Well, given the fact that most of the filming we do is not with these freaking retarded deer down south, you have a fair <laughs> point. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I can't put my finger on a time where since I've been filming you, we've gotten blown at. Hey, last year, last year. When we went hunting with Kyler on the last day, when we hunted in that dry slough, and that last deer we saw came from behind us and got right halfway in the middle of that slough and stood there and blew oh, at the us. Oh, the spike. That was spike. A spike. Blew at yep. us. We had the doe no, near when come no, through. Might have, been, might have been his first, his first one, man. <laughs> we popped his cherry. <laughs> yeah. Maybe That's even so deer funny. over there are just special. No. Yeah, when when you were when you were when you Colin was like, "You've never been blown out, Lock." I was like, "Y'all definitely got blown out when y'all are hunting with me." There's no way my deer did not blow it. There's no <laughs> well, way. Well, I mean, that was the only three deer we saw in like four days. Four days. <laughs> True, I did. So that's not a good average <laughs> for your betting odd. We saw three deer and one of them blew at us. That's thirty three percent, bro. <laughs> Maybe we need to take I'm that area sure. that Kyler hunts and just count it out. I'm pretty sure that I I, did, I went on a killing spree like the day after y'all left. Uh, yeah, yeah. You and your buddy, um, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, I think right, we so just started like bloodshed. All right. Uh, so maybe my one? lines are way off. We'll have to consult on these lines. But my next one is: times your feet have gotten cold. Oh my god. Over or under? Let's call it two fifty and a half. So. 250 mm. times or 251 times? I'll go under. I don't think my feet have been that cold that, that long, um, that many times. I'll go under. Well, what do y'all think? I'm definitely leave. over because I'm... my feet sweat. Yeah, I, I could wear flip-flops out to the tree and my feet would sweat. So there is no doubt that mine are over, and the reason is because my feet get cold almost and this in october is, they do like a cold front in october my feet get cold like not so, now granted there's varying levels of this i mean they don't get so cold that i'm just uncomfortable and i you know it's just like a focal point of my hunt or anything uh, i'm not saying that but like if it's 55 degrees i can feel it in my feet and it doesn't matter what i do like it's i don't know if it's a blood circulation if it's sweat yeah uh like i there's that that one's not hard for me at all because honestly it's i've just learned to live with it my feet are gonna get you know out some level of cold every time the temperature gets below upper 50s i i think i'm under as well Uh, i envy people that can feel like i i feel like i have a pretty decent system about uh i I don't honestly i have this is where i've gotten with that I don't think that for certain people, whether it be like 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 you say, Levi, where your feet sweat and that's a problem, or I don't think mine's feet sweat. I think it's just like a, just me, like blood circulation in my feet or something like that. There is no system. There's no boot. There's no sock. There's no combination of sock. There's nothing I can do. It runs deeper than that, and it's just nothing I can do. Yeah. And the weird thing is I'm not a cold person. Like, I can walk around the house – Walk outside, let the dog out in the freezing cold, and I don't have foot cold problems. I don't like lay on the couch and watch TV and have to put a blanket over my feet. I don't have that. But when I go hunting with hunting boots on, doesn't matter what 
boot or sock configuration, I try to use my feet get cold. And they get cold almost every time. So if I've hunted 251 times, then my feet have gotten cold 251 times. Just what so it you're is. way over. Way over. I got well, you. I think the other thing is like memorably cold. There's a difference yeah. between like chilly and like I need, yeah, yeah. I need like this is a problem. I've got to leave. I need yeah. to go. So yeah, if it's a problem, I, I can say that I've not, I've not ended 250 hunts because of cold feet. How many? That's what I was going to ask. How many? If ever, have you ever ended a hunt because your feet were too cold? I've done it one time. No, I've never climbed out of a I had, tree because my I, feet were cold. I had to. Actually. I have climbed out of a tree a couple of times where my feet situation were a primary mm. factor, and they were so cold that they hurt getting out of the stand. Yeah. But, I mean, I, that's, I mean, that's, that's where I was at. That's I've done that down. a handful of times. But it wasn't. Never. It was usually once it gets to that point. There's multiple factors. That's just one of them, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The feet have the feet haven't been the determining factors. Typically, like I'm shaking so bad that I think that I'm probably not going to be able to hold on to the climbing sticks when I climb down. Yeah, you know. I've been in that um, situation where I I literally looked down and thought I got to be careful because I'm so cold. I don't know if I can hold it together and get to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like. It was like I was walking on nails all the way out because my feet were so in so much pain that I was just like, you know, struggling. I've been in that situation. Yeah, like you can't even you don't can't feel like you can even bend your toes in your boot. Been in that situation. All right, do you have another one? No, that's it for right now. Okay. Well, um, so Kyler, we wanted to we wanted to have you come on, and you know, with this being the hundredth episode. I, you know, we're in the. This is the fifth season of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast, and it's it's. I would say that it really hasn't changed much since the start of it, but I, I mean, I just wanted you to just kind of talk for just a minute about, you know, this was your idea to begin with way back when, and and uh, you just kind of get some of your thoughts about where, you know, how how it started and what your thoughts were getting it started, and you know what you think about it up to this point. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I remember it pretty vividly. I, um, this is 20, it would have been 2018, 17, 18. Um, yeah. 17. It, yeah, yeah, it was 17. Um, Facebook changed their algorithm in uh, January of 2017. And um, it was, uh, anybody that had a brand or a page or a business at that time remembers it pretty heavily because we used to be able to reach businesses, pages, companies, et cetera, used to be able to reach people in a, um, just say, uh, well, now an enviable level, like uh, un, unheard of level. Um you know, I feel I kind of I feel like I'm telling a story where like a grandfather would tell a story about you know storming the beach of Normandy or something, you know. But uh, but it was it was so good back then that like we could post. I remember Justin um, Longcall. He would post like some dumbass meme about a deer and a feeder and you know wishing you were at you weren't at work or something, and it get like 400 likes on Facebook. You know, this is 2015 and 16, and then you know it. it they changed it uh, beginning of the year, 2017, and it cut down to about 10 percent of that. 
Um, and where if we had 24, 25,000 followers on, uh, Facebook and, and that was I'm not saying all of them were bow hunters, but at the time that, that same year, there were like 36,000 archery licenses sold in the state. So it was about, you know, you could logically deduct that about a third, two thirds of most deer or bow hunters or people that bow hunted in some capacity were following the page. And yet we would post, make a post and it would, you know, it would reach like 1200 people and get 36 likes, you know? And, um, long story short, I wanted to get away from, um, relying on social media algorithms for content and it, it was being suppressed. And actually I, I remember one of the biggest reasons why I started the podcast is because some of the people that have been following for years will remember we used to do bow reviews. Um, I used to travel the entire state because uh, for work, cause I traveled for work a lot and I would make it a point when my sales route or, or meeting branches or whatever I was doing at the time, I'd make sure to stop in at, you know, hoot and holler archery. Jay's Archery and Eunice at the time, or, you know, Lafayette Shooters and Violent Bow Hunters, et cetera, et cetera. I would go all over the state with a camera and zero filming or editing experience. And I would get bow techs and bow shop owners that have never filmed anything in their life to tell me why the Matthews, uh, uh, you know, no cam was good. You know what I mean? And uh, we did it for three years in the third year. It would get, dude, it would get like, like things that I spent days shooting, traveling, and editing would get like 215 views and like 13 likes. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and it's not all about likes and content, but like, it was, we were suppressed. Everything was suppressed. It, the game had changed. And so I remember I was talking to, um, uh, uh, Ryan Soche and, um, uh, Jonathan, um, oh, I'm blanking on his last name right now. I can see it. He works with Brian Chamberlain, Jonathan Morgan, Morgan. Um, because they, they had done a whole bunch of uh, podcast stuff as well in the past, and I was getting their opinion. And um, I remember one day I was just like, it was May of 2017, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. We're going to try this out. This was way before everybody had a podcast, okay, um, and had to figure out how to do it. And I went to Guitar Center. I bought all the stuff to do it, um, spent a few hundred dollars got set up and um, started lining up interviews. And, uh, and it's uh, the fact that y'all are a hundred. Yeah, I think, I think my last episode was like 84 maybe um, with you lock last year. Something and like then that. the fact that y'all brought it to a hundred is it's super cool. It's one of those things where, you know, you don't start episode one thinking that you're going to do a hundred of them, you know, you know what I mean? Um, but I, the, the coolest thing for me in, in retrospect and in, in the things that I've been told by people is there's a lot of people that I've never met in my life or we've never met ever. We don't know where they live. We don't know their names. We don't know anything. And they listen every week and they listen to my bullshit and the fact that I don't know anything of what I'm talking about. But, but from our guests and some of our ramblings, they pick up something helpful and it makes them – better woodsman or be- makes him better at killing a deer and you know it's not like we're you know spewing out knowledge every second of every day um i, I mean I-, I just got asked how many times my feet get cold you know yeah. um but we're uh <laughs> but we you know we we're helping people and that was what it was intended to do and that's you know that this is the, and everybody knows this the brain was never about me it was never about like, I, and that that was my biggest problem with starting a podcast to begin with. Was it made me a real person 
to the people that follow the brand. And I didn't want that. Some people might believe that. Some people might not. But I didn't want to be the guy. That was never what Louisiana Bill Hunter was meant to be. It was never meant to be, you know, Tyler's archery show. It was meant to just be a voice and an outlet for people that do what we love to do and learn from each other because we have such a unique circumstance in which we hunt, a unique area, unique habitat, and it's so diverse. And, you know, the basis of the podcast was like, let's get people like Warren Womack on. Let's get people like Harmon Carson on. I mean, uh, yeah, Harmon Carson on. Let's get people like um, Greg Grabois on. And, um, and let's get regular people that you park next to in Tinsaw and Sherburn and let's see what works for them, get their opinion. And so the fact that y'all are carrying that on, uh, and, and y'all all know this, it was very important to me when y'all took this over that, that this continued on because I think it's, in my opinion, one of the, the most valuable, possibly monetarily, but definitely informationally, parts of the brand. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm just glad to see that y'all are carrying that on, and I appreciate y'all letting me be, be a part of it again tonight. Yeah, it's well, you know, Colin and Levi are learning <clears throat> on the fly what you and I have have uh, painstakingly learned over the years that it's there are times where it becomes extremely tedious, and I'm just like pulling mm-hmm. back the cover. There are some Tuesday and Wednesday and Sunday nights where it's like we're on a group text and we're like we've got to get something done this week. Like, we got to get something out, you know, who, like, who's one of these, we need to reach out to some of these guests we've been talking about getting on, and, but for me, and I, I feel like you probably feel this way, um, from your past experience doing it, Kyler, it, even on those days where things are really busy, or, or whatever's going on, and, and it's kind of a tedious task to sit down and do it, we've been blessed in that. We've always had a lot of good guests, and for the most part, I had someone ask me, hell, it might have been you, Colin. I don't. Somebody asked me the other day about, like, if I could remember ever having, like, a really bad guest. And I just don't know that we ever have. I mean, and, I mean, yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, there yeah. have, there's been obviously better episodes you than others. You haven't. Maybe I, I have. have. let me let me let me put it i'm I'm not gonna name a name i'm not gonna give a number it's our shortest podcast (laughs) okay if you go go back to 100 figure it out i think i think i really think in that podcast i said well you got any other questions for me and 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 like and moved moved on Um, 17 minutes in uh, i got i got a little better at vetting people and um, I learned, uh, I learned kind of early on that people, some people, um, wanted attention and I gave it, uh, to somebody without too, doing too much, enough research and, and, um, realized it in the middle of an episode and, um, kind of pulled the plug as fast as I could. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, in uh, a stati- we'll not say what episode that was. In a st- yeah. From a t- st- statistical standpoint, one out of a hundred ain't so bad. Well, it's 1%. We've had one percent terrible guess. Yeah, <laughs> we have a ninety-nine percent excellent guess rate. Rated well, is what we have. I, yeah. I guess where I, where I was going with that, you know, kind of in 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 total, where I was going with that was even when it even when it's tedious, 
most of the time when you get done, you're like, hey, I'm glad I had that conversation. There was something, oh, sure. that, there was something, something, or usually more than just something, you know, usually it's, uh, you know, a number of good things that came out of that conversation that you really feel like somebody's going to enjoy listening to, or they're going to get something from it, or it's going to yeah. help put a piece of a puzzle together that somebody's been trying to put together. And, you know, like when you look at that, if you're listening to this and you wonder sometimes a little bit about how the sausage is made, I guess, I mean, I don't know if that's the right way to characterize it, but it, it, a lot of times we talk about what we're doing and like, I'm talking about my property, but I'm not really doing that just to tell you guys about my property. I feel like it's a representation of what many people might be dealing with. It's something that more sure. people than just me, because I'm not hunting anywhere that's not uh, probably extremely comparable to a lot of places that people around this state hunt. And so when I'm dealing with something or I have a question about something and I'm bouncing it off of a guest or off of one of you guys on the podcast, I'm... I'm hoping that somebody finds some parallel into challenges that they're having with their with their bow setup or with with their struggle shooting or figuring out a deer or 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 something, right? You know. Yeah. So, so uh that's well, that's a lot a lot what it's about and that that that's kind of been a cool point for me in this journey. Well, let, let me let me see this. I got cuz this is about the only thing that I really prepared for this podcast. Um because when you asked me to do it, I was like, oh, what, you know, obviously I didn't know, I figured we wouldn't have a topic. We never really needed one. Um, but uh, I just would like to publicly apologize to everybody for um, season one uh, and me talking so goddamn much. I apologize. Um, I was figuring a lot of stuff out. And um, if anybody made it past season one and is still listening, I mean, you're a saint because um, some of that was pretty bad, and I'm sorry, and that we've gotten better. So I've got, I got better, and then I brought Locke on, and Locke helped. helped uh, he diluted my bullshit um, that I was spewing single handedly before that. So um, well, it survived it, so it couldn't have been that bad. It did. It did. But well, back then, you know, the pressure was a lot higher then because you got to understand that there, there wasn't. I'm not, you know this is five years ago. So it's easy to, you know, right now you have niche podcasts about, you know, sewing purple sweaters in the deer stand in Florida. Like it's like there's niche podcasts on every topic now, but back then there was, there still to some extent wasn't and isn't a format. Um, and the most important thing to me was be interesting, keep a conversation going that people want to listen to, but this is where I this is where I had the flaw, and I'll, I'll openly admit this because I got a bunch of feedback about this, and and I changed it. That's what literally why I asked Locke to be a part of it in season two. I didn't view myself as a host, a question asking host. I viewed myself as a fellow bow hunter with experiences, and I was just talking to somebody else, and we were bullshitting. And in hindsight, you know, I could have asked more questions, but I also think that conversation conversations would have been less dynamic. Um. But uh, with that being said, I do I, – I, I want to – I want to name a few of my favorite podcasts like okay. that we've done because only a handful of them are like – only a handful of them are like super memorable. And some of them are memorable like nostalgic for me specifically because, you know, like it's like you, you kind of like your first kid better than your second and third kid. They, <laughs> they only get worse, you know. And so, and so like I uh, – 
I um because your first kid is what made you a parent. You know what I mean? So like season one episodes, I'm I'm that's when I was really trying like hard. You know, like I was driving places and interviewing people in person. You know, um and so as before, I did a lot of phone call phone stuff. But um some of my favorite episodes uh for different reasons. And I'll explain why. And these aren't in order. Um, but my my one of my most memorable one uh, memorable one was um, uh, episode two, which was um, Acadian Woods. Um, and the reason why is because number one, I think that's an interesting episode in general. We filmed, we recorded it on site in Fidel at Tim's um, shop. But Acadian Woods Bose had been shut down and out of business before that. Tim was in a really bad place in his life and he had a lot of back orders and deposits from people and he wasn't making bows and he had health problems and he had family issues and not getting into personal stuff, but there were reasons why his business was not as great as it had been. And we happened to start the podcast right at the same time that he was really ramping back up production on, um, on his custom bows, which are like some of those beautiful piece of art, pieces of art in archery world in, in general. And Tim, I've never said this, and he, he might not like me saying this, but that podcast, episode two, you got to remember that we're on episode 100 now. So episode two, the fact that I called him and said, hey, we'd like to do this podcast, and then we aired it. He got so much business from that podcast and he was so appreciative for the exposure and in some ways the, the second chance to redeem himself because he felt as if he had failed a lot of people is what he told me. He felt as if he had, he had lost the grace of the, his old customers because he went through a rough patch in black. And he expressed to me that the podcast and that episode had really helped him launch, like relaunch again. And he made like, because of that, he made me, a trad bow and would not allow me to pay him for it. They surprised me with it. And, and I never really understood, like at the time I didn't really understand the value that we had technically provided him. Cause we, like I said, episode two, you know what I mean? These weren't even aired yet. We filmed, we recorded five episodes before we even put them out, you know? And so episode two hadn't even like, I had three more to record before I even went live. With and, um, and so num- that's my number one because of the trickle down effect of that podcast not so much because of the content but because that was a good thing and i'm glad that that was able to help somebody um my next favorite one was the first episode that we did with warren womack obviously warren obviously warren is um uh, an incredible bow hunter with incredible history and incredible record keeping and incredible storyteller and i i can't confirm this for sure and I'm not claiming to be, but I think that we were one of the first, if not the first people to get him on a, a legit podcast. Not positive of that. If we weren't the first, we got to be top three. Um, and he's been on a ton since, but that was a great episode as well. Um, and then the next one's Greg Gravois' episode is one of my all-time favorite because of where I was how we were talking we like i was in orlando on a business trip it was raining i was in a hotel room i had left a party because I, like I, a work party because i had scheduled a time with him and so i'm like in my room and everybody else i'm on that trip with is having a blast 
it's pouring down rain. Police cars are, police sirens are, are, um, won't stop outside. I think it's all in, on the audio and it isn't, but I was super self-conscious about it. But that conversation, I told Levi this last week, my favorite part about that conversation was, I think that's episode, no, no, I don't think, it is episode 20. And it's called Swamp Hunting with Greg Rabois. Um, that episode was one of my favorites because I thought he was going to come onto the podcast and tell everybody how to kill a deer in the swamp. But instead, he spent about an hour and 20 minutes dissuading people from hunting the swamp and trying to get them to hunt anywhere else because the swamp is terrible. <laughs> and he, his, <laughs> y'all shared this on the story last week, but his quote from that podcast is, if I, if I had to rank 10 habitats to traditional bow hunt, um, I would rank the swamp 10th, and I don't even need to know what the other nine are, which is honestly one of my all-time favorite quotes from the podcast ever. Um, so that's a great episode. The most straight up, entertaining, gut gut like busting podcast we've ever done. Because the podcast was never meant to be funny. We, I mean, there's some wit and humor and blah blah blah. But the most hilarious one that we ever did, Locke. What do you think it is? What do you think I'm about to say? Naked in Kansas with meat chasers. Meat chasers, hundred percent. to to the core. That that yeah. podcast is the greatest podcast in my opinion, it's ever been recorded. That's the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. Those, the, those brothers, the fact that they were, they were both on speakerphone on one line, cutting each other off, telling stories. It was like, it was so funny, man. And, yeah. and my favorite part of about that podcast was when they would, was when they were saying they were all naked and afraid and they had gotten so good at killing animals that they started passing on Impala. They started, pa- <laughs> they're, they're in the middle <laughs> They're in the middle of the, the desert, or not the desert, they're in the middle of Africa in the bush, and they're like, oh, that Impala is only about 120 pounds, Let's wait for a bigger one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was hilarious. I, you um, know what, I the, the, the quote, and I, I might butcher it, like, exactly, but the quote, or, or the, the thing that they said to me that was the funniest, was they uh, they kept calling it. Uh, a hunting trip, and the producer kept telling them it's a survival <laughs> trip. You have to stop calling it that. Yeah. <laughs> or a or a hunting vacation. They were calling it something. A hunting trip. A hunting yeah. trip, and they're like, it's a survival show. You have to stop calling it that. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, can you do something other than sit at this water hole with your bow all day? Like, we've got enough footage of that. And they're like, yeah, but it's, we're like, we're winning. Like, why, why would we stop doing that? You know? So, so those, I'm trying to think if there's any more that like really stick out. I mean, we've had a ton of great guests, a ton of great episodes. Um, I would say maybe like the most, one of the most wholesome episodes that I remember was, um, and I don't remember his last name. His first name is Mike. I don't remember the number, but it, it's, uh, the episode was, it's never too late to start. That was a really good like beginner story, and Mike, who was in the Coast Guard, I think he lives up in the Northeast now. He was yeah. just super proud of himself and his accomplishments, and it and and he should be. He killed a really nice buck on public, and he'd only been bow hunting for a few years. And just a really, it's just a breakthrough moment for him, and that was that was a cool one um, because he was just so optimistic and upbeat, and and that's not an easy that's not an easy uh, um, 
outlook to have in bow hunting, especially when you were doing it a long time. You know, like, in fact, I would rate bow hunting as like, this shit sucks all the time, except for the few times it doesn't, you know. Um, so uh, that I, I haven't gone through the whole list. I could probably name five or six more. But um, those are the standout episodes um, that stick in my mind uh, are are those what I probably just named five, I think. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's been fun, man. It's cool. It is. Um, I want to, I would like encourage people. I've never told you this, but, um, and I, and I think it was the Southern outdoorsman. You did a podcast. I think it was last year. Yeah. With, uh, was it Southern Outdoorsman, <laughs> Jay, that, that guy? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. if y'all ever want to listen to about 90 minutes of the most glorious bullshit you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, like knowing you as well as I do, I, I, I was driving somewhere and I decided to listen to it. And I thought to myself. We were going turkey hunting. Is that when we listened to it? Yes. And I remember thinking to myself, bra- uh, I kept bouncing back bra- and forth. Uh, yeah, Tyson's, when we went, yeah. yeah so we, yeah, me and Colin and Levi mm-hmm. went on a an archery turkey <laughs> hunt, which is ranks right up there with your season of trad bow hunting. By the way, <laughs> the most fun you yeah, never want to yeah. have again. If you want to go on a turkey hunting trip, save that shit till shotgun season opens. By the way, and this is a bow hunting podcast. Yeah, um, that was anyway. Um, we're and I kept thinking like I can't. I kept bouncing between is Kyler just fucking with these guys. <laughs> or is he just enjoying the bullshit conversation? <laughs> because yeah, there yeah. were like bits and pieces that were so much like our podcast, and then there were other parts where I'm like, I understand his humor better than most people, and he is totally pulling these dudes' string. You know, well, I know I know Jacob pretty well, and I don't, I don't know Andrew as well as I know Jacob, but I but you know they they started their podcast about the time that we did, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, <laughs> And and, I, and I'm not positive of this, but it might have been a year sooner that we started it. I'm not positive, but I think it was the same year. And I, uh, you know, they asked me to be on, and um, I had a had a good season last year. I'm trying to remember. My buddy Randy was at the camp, and he had killed a good deer that night, and um, or that evening. <clears throat> and uh, I was just. I just I, I was just out of fucks I guess and and they and they <laughs> called me man they called me and and uh, and I was just like all right here we go you know we're we're gonna do this and I'm gonna talk for two hours about nothing and they're gonna think I'm an expert in something and that's really dumb but okay you know uh, but 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 the reason why they called me because that is a good that is a great episode I can see why I would be an interesting guest to them because. They hunt a lot of mountains, hills, uh, like literal funnels and pinch points. Not, you know, not like what we have here. Or it's like in between a bayou and a slough. It's like, you know, you can't go anywhere but through that way. You know, in a, in a in like a saddle or whatever ridge. And um, and then they also hunt a lot of piney woods. So like none of that stuff is what I hunt at all. And I think I told them on the podcast. I was like, yeah, y'all talk about thermals and. What side of a ridge deer sleeps on, and you know, like, and why? What time he looks at eight thirty? What you know? What what direction he looks at at eight thirty in the morning versus four thirty in the afternoon? I'm like, this is I. This has no value to me whatsoever. None, none. I'm like, can I? I you know, my my thing is like, okay, do I need knee boots or hip boots, and should I bring the Piro? 
you know, yeah. uh, that's it. That is it, man. Like this is, I told him, I was like, everything your podcast consists of is not anywhere near my hunting decision tree yeah. every time I go in the woods. So, um, said, but like, yeah, yeah the fun. more palmettos, the better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Put me out on a scene of, see of palmettos. Don't put me in a yeah. pinewood thicket. They said they saw like one of your videos and it was like you were taking like a panorama video and it, there was just no <laughs> land in sight. And they were like, what the hell is he hunting in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won't. Every Whenever I walk through that stuff, sometimes I'll like take a selfie video and I'll send it to them. And I'm like, hey, man, rust in three weeks. Y'all coming, you know? And, uh, and they, they haven't taken me up on my offer yet. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a good episode. I, I'll admit that like, that was some of my best work. And, um, it was, uh, it was fun. It was good. good time. All right. So we're going to wrap up the podcast with, with one last topic. And, and you actually sent this to me and Levi a while back <laughs> and it was prefaced with something like, Hey, if uh if if we got to talk about this if if I could get back on the podcast or or maybe it wasn't podcast but you're like we need to talk about this or y'all need to talk about this or something and I'm not even going to try to 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 even I'm not even going to try to I don't know what the name of this thing is but it's one yeah. of your one of your uh psych uh like theories y- yeah it's not really a theory no Kyler if you listen to uh 99 episodes and however many of those Kyler is on You'll find out that I think Kyler, I think you missed somewhere in your in your upbringing and educational background. You missed that calling of getting into the psychiatric field of you know like psychology or psychiatry or something because sure. you you, yeah. you you tend to lean on a lot of those kind of psych theories and things to to explain other theories that you have about things in the world, specifically in this case, hunting. And this is one of those. So I want yeah. I, 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 we're gonna we're gonna talk about this for a minute as we wrap up the podcast, and and I, I'm gonna give you the floor to uh, to present this as your most recent psych theory as it pertains to the Louisiana bow hunter. Yeah. So so um, I I will admit I don't remember what prompted this. I also don't remember specifically where I saw this, but I remember you know what it triggered in my mind and kept you know what what I compared it to. So I sent y'all a DM with a link, uh, Wikipedia link. And my, uh, my follow-up comment is, I believe this is why crossbow hunters think they are bow hunters. This is very deep. And then I sent you the link. Okay. Um, and so, and so I, I want to like, I don't even know why I'm going to like pre apologize or, or, or like preface any of this. Cause I I'm, really don't care. Um, but I'm what I want to, I want to talk. I'm not talking about your uncle Joe that's 67 that had rotator cuff surgery and shoots crossbow. Okay. I'm also not talking about your four year old son, Samuel, that can't hold up anything that isn't on a bipod and shoots crossbow. I'm talking about full capable, capable, fully capable grown ass men that shoot a crossbow just to get in the woods earlier. And they would shoot a rifle if they could get in the woods in, in October with it. Okay. I'm talking about people that, that believe because of the, the, um, slightly comparable, um, uh, components of a crossbow and a bow that they think they are archery hunting, bow hunting. Okay. So this, this is, this is, we're on track to have a, is that enough yes. lead in? Yes. To, to, to prep everybody's fucking feelings. Yep. Okay. 
because everybody gets all defensive about this, but it's the truth. So this is something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning-Kruger, Kruger's with a K. So this is a psychological term. This is, this is a proven, like, uh, uh, what's the word, misunderstanding, okay? I'm, I'm going to read this to you, and then we'll follow up on it. People that suffer or people that um, have the Dunning-Kruger effect um, tend to overrate themselves because they do not see the qualitative difference between their performances and the performances of others. <laughs> this has been termed, also termed the dual burden account. Let me skip over that. Um, since the lack of skill is paired with the ignorance of the lack of skill. Some researchers include that the this component is part of the definition of the Dunning-Kruger effect and not just as explanative ex- <laughs> distinction. All right, let me keep going. Oh, I kind of got off the track here. Um, it has been described as relevant for various practical matters, but also disagreements exist about the magnitude of its influence. Inaccurate self-assessment. This is the important part. Inaccurate self-assessment can lead people making bad decisions such as choosing a career for which they are unfit or engaging in a behavior dangerous for themselves or others or involving themselves in, in um, involving themselves in activities that they are not fit to pursue and being unaware of the lacking uh, being unaware of their lack of necessary skills so it's kind of like just to wrap that up because I know that was a lot of scientific jargon what it means is I'm specifically talking about. I'm not putting down crossbow hunters. I'm not. I'm not saying they're bad or anything. I'm saying that there is a percentage of the population that legitimately believes that they are bow hunting. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm specifically talking about the people that kill a doe or a buck. Doesn't matter what it is. We coyote. Doesn't matter. And when they lay their crossbow on the front of it, if they have the balls to do that. And they post it to social media. They say, first bow killer of the year. Okay? This is a, this is a literal inability to separate out the fact that they are doing something different than a regular bow hunter. That's, what I, that's why I sent it to you all. That's why I, I brought it up. I was like, this is really deep. This explains that. You know, this is – I really think this is why. I think, it's a, I think it is a – misunderstanding in the sense that um uh for example um this is a great a great analogy okay i'm rock climbing the mountainside you take the stairs up the back of the mountain we both get to the top at the same time we're both mountain climbers uh not really actually no we're not and and so it also brings up a, a topic that I brought in the past, which I'm very passionate about. And this is, uh, I think, the basis of why we all handicap ourselves bow hunting. It's called the degree of difficulty. It has to be taken into account. It is the number one separator, in my opinion, non-mechanical separator between crossbow hunting and archery hunting. It is, you know, the degree of difficulty is um, very wide between shooting a deer with a crossbow and shooting a deer with any other type of bow, especially a traditional bow, but I'm not going to go down that slippery slope, but also a compound because a crossbow is um, a universal weapon that anybody can shoot. You can give it to your wife, you can give it to your kids, you can give it to your Uncle Joe. 
You can borrow your Uncle Joe's crossbow, and you can all be deadly with it. But you can't do that with a bow, and it's pre-cocked, ready to load, ready to shoot. And we have to draw back in the moment with an art with a compound. And even though they have some similarities, they are not the same. And so the reason, just in in conclusion, the reason I sent that to y'all, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up to the audience today, is because it is a somewhat scientific um, uh, proof as to yeah theory. Thank you as to what could be going on with. Um, why some crossbow hunters think that they are bow hunting and they aren't. It's a fallacy. So, um, anyway, that's it. Yeah. Good luck, um, coming back to this one, guys. <laughs> so, all right. So, oh, man. I, I think it's, um, I think there's a lot of, uh, of doing searching for the word. There's a lot of, interesting validity validity and interesting thought that can be derived from that and um i'm curious to know your opinion on why is it that that let's let's create an avatar okay all right we're going to create an avatar uh colin name the avatar uh, Samuel is Sa- what he- Samuel. <laughs> That's not fair. He named the little kid Samuel. You got to come up with something else. Uh, <laughs> Randy. Randy. All right. Randy the crossbow hunter. All right. So, you know, giving the Dunning Kruger effect, um, given that, that is being put into Randy's psyche, right? Why is it that when Randy finds himself in a heated conversation with Kyler or someone who has a strong opinion about it, why do they tend to always dance around and backtrack the conversation of like, well, no, I don't really think I'm a bow hunter, but their their actions don't line up to that. Uh, to that uh, defense that they have in that debate. Um, well, that has, I mean, that has a lot to do, and I'm not making up this term. I'm also, do, I also don't mean it to be derogatory. That ha- that has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. Okay, emotional intelligence means it, 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 it's 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 the ability to um, receive information, good or good or bad. And not emotionally react to it, good or bad. And in as you chew on it and and come up with a response, um, you're not just knee jerk taking offense to something. Um, I, uh, so it also has to do with the fact that people are not very good at, 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 at self reflection. Okay. Or, or self awareness in general. Most people don't know. It all has a lot to do with your sphere of influence. If everybody around you hunts with a crossbow and calls themselves a bow hunter, why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Why, why would you negate that? You know, and so that's why that's one of the reasons why I'm even bringing it up is this is obviously a community of bow hunters, and I think we all, whether we're actually bothered by it or just kind of laugh it off when we see somebody with a crossbow call themselves a bow hunter, it's like yeah, just you know, just because you went to Chuck E. Cheese in 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 when you're a kid and and drove the um the game 
uh, remember the motorcycle thing? Mm-hmm. When you go back and forth and tip on stuff, it doesn't make you a motorcycle driver. Okay. So it doesn't, it's not the same thing. It's the digital game, not the same version. But, but the, the Dunning Kruger effect is the belief that you could do it if you had to. And you can't. You don't, it's literally the lack of skill, but the overconfidence is what the Dunning and Kruger effect is. And so, um, the reason why people will, will backtrack or backpedal is because people, people don't, most people don't put a lot of thought into why they believe what they do. Most people are repeating what other people around them believe and have voiced their opinions. I would, I would say the majority of U.S. citizens are somewhat non-independent thinkers and are generally in line with what the belief system is with the people they surround themselves with. And so if you surround yourself with a bunch of, in a rifle hunting club and one person gets a crossbow and calls himself bow hunter, why wouldn't you? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm saying like, that's what your sphere of influence is. It's where do you get your information from? It's where do you get your comparison from? Where it's, where do you get your motivation from? Who, who are you comparing yourself against? And if you are in, if you join a bow only club, um, and you walk in with a crossbow and kill something and tell everybody you got your first bow kill, you would be laughed down the road. You know what I mean? But if you do that in a rifle club, nobody bats an eye. It's, 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 it's the same thing to them. That's, that's what I'm saying. It, it is that is, um, it is all, <sighs> I don't want to say lack of knowledge because I'm, I'm, I'm not being ugly. That's not the point of it. I know there are some things we can point fun of and like, like laugh at people about, but that's not why I bring it up scientifically. Scientifically, it is literally the lack of awareness that it isn't the same. That's the thing that's most interesting. So That's what explains it. So what are your, what is your thoughts about – like? so I, I, I look at this topic, and to me, what stands out to me – and I'm not talking about the Dunning Kruger effect. I think it's I think it's a funny comparison that you're making, and I think there's some validity to the theory, and you know possibly. But, but, but what stands out to me in this conversation, and, and it is 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 the time frame of it, because we're in a different, you know, it's it's November the 30th of 2022, right? This conversation was very different on November the 30th of 2010, right? Because sure. yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when crossbow hunting became legal and became – 2008. Yeah, I, I knew yeah. it was somewhere around in there. So at that time, you did have this tremendous wave of people going, oh, this is a new method of bow hunting, and that it's legal. It's, it, it's – you know, because of the regulation and the right granted to you legally, it became – it became – lumped in with archery right it's a Correct. it's a um, evolutionary device in the archery industry and i guess from a just a a, a, a commercial perspective a, a consumer commercial perspective it is an evolutionary archery equipment but archery and bow hunting there's a lot more to it than just the archery equipment when you start taking archery and putting it into a bow hunting perspective. So what I'm I'm getting at is, you know, what's the perspective now? Because now I think you would be hard-pressed to find yourself in a conversation with that person who is 
still ignorant and we're using the term like a lot of people I find it interesting too a lot of people get offended by the term ignorant ignorant is not a derogatory term ignorant literally means lack of knowledge no it's not it literally means yeah. lack of knowledge well, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm calling <laughs> you a dumbass right it just means I'm I am ignorant to <laughs> the gynecology because I am not a gynecologist right like I'm ignorant to it okay and I don't know why I thought of gynecologist as my example. But hey, I'm not a doctor, but I'll take a look. You know? Yeah, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so but I, I think that in, in this case, if you pull up next to a guy at the public parking spot or you meet a new member of your hunting club and you find yourself in a conversation with that person and they've got a crossbow, I think that the level of debate and whatever amongst the hunting community as of 2022, I don't know how many people you would find that would still try to engage you in that way. Like, how many people well, are it, still going to argue with you that this is archery and not just another form of legal hunting? Well, every so the, this this is the thing. Okay, the, the number one argument against it, and this is when I like whenever people say this, I I actually like. This is a sign that I'm like, okay, you are too stupid for me to continue to talk to. Okay. When people, when people respond to whatever, it doesn't matter if it's in person or on the internet, or it doesn't matter where it is. When people say it's legal, I can do it. You know what else is legal? I mean, you can use that little electric buggy at the grocery store. Why don't you go use that too? You know, like that's the same thing, isn't it? Is I mean, you can legal. There's no reason why you can't use that, other than I don't know having standards. You know, um, it's for the handicapped people, and you yeah, don't need well, it. But but you but it. But is it for the handicapped people? Like, is that? I mean, I know that. Or is it for the lazy with, people that don't want to walk? Is, is that not the same thing? It's well. No, is that I, not? I, that's why I, I like, ask you because I wanted exact to exact same thing. Divulge. Yeah. Man, it's pretty and so, damn close. And so, um, any anyway, um, when people go down, when people, and this is what's so amazing to me, the 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 ones, <laughs> it's like um, you know when we went through uh, the, the Trump era, and and you know I voted for Trump. I'm not. Not my proudest moment. I didn't love everything that he did, but definitely didn't like that the chillery. And um, I, I, you know, we went through this internet era of of people, um, kind of the whole like they took our job, like speaking up on the internet. And they like they hadn't been around before before that. Like they finally speaking out. Um, when people started at that point in time becoming like anti government, not anti government, but more conservative. Um, we don't need big government. And that was something that Trump was for big time. You have the same people saying, no, I don't want the government. I want a smaller government. And then these same conservative folks are saying, I hunt with a crossbow because the government tells me I can. I'm like, which one is it, dude? Do you, do you base all standards of life against what the government tells you you can and can't do? Is that what you can do also? Like, doesn't make, this is such a flawed logic as to why somebody would want to hunt with a crossbow because it's quote-unquote legal i understand i never said that you were being illegal dumbass i said that it, that you're a grown man and if you want to hunt in october you should hunt with some form of archery not pre pre-loaded arrow rifles you know so um 
Anyway, so, y'all are going to have a hell of a time coming back from this episode. But there might not be an episode 101, it sounds like. <laughs> no. But, no, I, 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 we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wrapping it up because I don't, uh, yeah, like, you say that and, and, like, in all, in all honesty, from a Louisiana bow hunter perspective, like, I, I don't have a problem with crossbows. I don't really care. I, I find this, you know, what I find this all comes down to, and I don't know how it compares to the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think it's an interesting thing, and, and you're good at talking about that kind of stuff, so I just wanted to engage you with it. But, like, <clears throat> it comes down to the thing that we've talked about on this podcast so many times, and and it, it, it's, it's a categorization of hunters, whether you, it doesn't matter what weapon you choose. You either like to hunt or you like to kill. And you might like both, but you you choose one of the two. Regardless of what you say to your friends, regardless of, of what you tell yourself, you favor one of the two. You favor hunting or you favor killing. And neither one is wrong, unless you're just an unethical asshole. You know, I mean, if you're hunting legally mm-hmm. and hunting ethically and respectful of other people that are sharing the same natural resource it doesn't matter but at at your core as a hunter you 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 lean more towards the hunt or the kill and in the hunting culture that we have and we start having brands that people identify with and podcasts that people listen to and engage with and all that well then you start having opinions you have hunting camps full of opinions and so people start what, what ends up happening is the preconceived notions, the primary um, predominant notions amongst the culture start to sway people in how they feel about that. They feel somehow looked down upon if they, if they want to you know, lean one way versus the other, right? And I think what that ends up happening is there's this grimy derogatory feeling amongst some people, they find themselves like, well, you just do that because you just want to kill shit. Well, if you're doing it legally and you're doing it ethically, that, that nobody has a problem with you just saying, hey, this is an easier method of killing, and in the end, that's what I want to do is I want to kill deer, and this is an easier well, method of well, doing it. But people won't, people won't just say that. No, they won't. Let, let me tell you this. There's, there's – um... You know, because the crossbow conversation, especially online, always like whenever you whenever you start to put pressure on somebody to explain, you know, why do you hunt with this? Why did you make this choice? Um, or if you make fun of them and you know, then they start try to bite bite you. Then it, it gets into that that legal defense thing, like it's, you know, it's, it's legal, leave me alone. Um, and then it gets into well, it isn't any of your business and blah blah blah. Um, and then it gets into um, Everything except for the whatever the real reason is that they decided to do it. But there's something called um, gatekeeping, uh, and it's where there are. And I've always, I've never said this before on the podcast. Never said it uh, um, really to anybody. But it's something that I've always been heavily driven by. Is archery is a tradition. Archery is a pastime that is shared amongst a group of people that have chosen to do something intentionally harder than other people. And when you introduce something that is undeniably an easier method to do something that is meant to be hard, it's not the same and it should not be respected as the same. 
and it should not be um, revered as the same and most certainly shouldn't be called the same. And that's why I brought up the Dunning-Kruger effect because that's what is happening is literally a mistitling of something that isn't the same. It is not the same thing. A truck is not the same as a car, even though they both have, both have engines and wheels. They are fundamentally different vehicles, different uses, different everything. And so um, I have always been, especially when I owned Louisiana Bowhunter and even after, I've always been a defender of archery. I've always been a defender. There's a reason. I have never, and y'all have never, ever posted a crossbow kill on the site in any way, shape, or form. I, I refuse to do it. I get them all the time. It isn't the same. And, you, you know, while, while, while you support, you, could be, you can be for it as a gateway. You can be for it for kids getting into hunting. And I am for those things. That's why I prefaced earlier, like, hey, get your feelings out of the way now. I'm about to be me, you know. Um, but <laughs> you can be for those things. But still, if you are an active, long-term participant in, of archery and bow hunting, crossbow does not qualify as that. And even though it's in the same arena, it is not that thing. And that's why I have always been so firm on my stance of them is because if I ever came out and said that I was pro this and, and I treated crossbow hunting the same as bow hunting, dude, the brand and the following would have plummeted. Plummeted. Because now I'll agree to anything. I don't stand for anything, you know? So um, if there's a there's a big difference between being against something and tolerating it. And, like, in, in, we're in an era now, and this is undeniable. Crossbows are definite gateways into hunting, especially in ch- kids, but also in adult on-thought hunter, hunters. Um, they are definite gateways in. Those are not the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that think they're bow hunters because they bought a crossbow and they're not. So, um, is it, so is anyway, it, is it fair for me to say that you're talking about the people that like, no, I, I don't want to extend this. So y'all don't let me, but you're talking also more at the person or the, or, or the groups of people that want to push this onto us and make us accept it as part of our tradition. Absolutely, for and, sure. and, and, and you can compare yeah. that to other things that are being forced upon us in in our culture, and then you know where I'm Absolutely. going. And I'm not trying to I'm go so there. I'm glad you said that. But that is like it's not like if you're the guy Episode who says 101. If you're the guy who <laughs> says, "Hey, man, I like to hunt with my crossbow. I don't care that much for hunting with a bow. I did it for a long time. I enjoy hunting with this crossbow." And that you know, hey, then we're not talking to you. Like I'm. And and I and I wish you the best success. If you were a good friend of mine, I would invite you to come hunt with me, and you could use your crossbow. I don't care. My dad hunts with a crossbow, and he doesn't have to. And I don't have any problem with it. But if you're the guy who wants to argue with me because I own a brand that says bow hunter, and I don't include you, then that's where I no. stand on Kyler's side. You don't. You you can't Absolutely. look look man. There no, there are no mopeds in the motorcycle club, man. <laughs> You and your all your analogies. <laughs> There's no mopeds yeah. in a motorcycle. It's, <laughs> it's not the same, you know. It is, and, that, and so, yes, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you got me to clarify that box because, yes, I am. I am pro bow hunting. That's what I am. I'm pro bow hunter. I'm pro traditional bow hunter. Pro compound bow hunter. 
I don't, a pro Oneida bow hunters, whatever those things are, whatever classification that thing is. Um, you know, that I am, that has always been the people that I wanted to be true to, that I always wanted to support and make them better. I'm interested in helping people become better at this sport that they want to get better at. Not interested in catering to anybody else whatsoever at all. Yeah. I don't have any rifle hunters saying, oh, you know, I'm a hunter too. You should do rifle hunting content on the weekend. Bar. No, no. Like that sounds ridiculous, right? So, so um, anyway, that's, that's what I've always been true to is the bow hunter. And like I said with Dunning Kruger, I think that helps explain why some crossbow hunters believe in a thousand, you know, not correctly that they are both hunters and they are not, they are crossbow hunters. I think there should be, maybe somebody should make a Louisiana crossbow hunter. It would be a great page for them. It would have 40,000 members overnight. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, I, I said this a while ago, but I'm serious this time. I'm going to start wrapping it up with this. From a, from a Louisiana bow hunter okay, perspective. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> from a Louisiana bow hunter perspective, I view and uh, I think that, you know, we view crossbow from just a brand perspective. Crossbows and crossbow hunting, they have their place in the hunting culture. They're a separate segment of the hunting culture. And um, they're not to be lumped in with archery and bow hunting in its traditional form that's just our stance on it that doesn't mean that we're uh uh in any way against crossbows as as a legal as a legal and ethic it it was decent damage control it's an attempt at decent damage control so but um so i mean i yes an hour and 50 minutes of well 50 minutes of the hour and 50 of offending some people and um <laughs> so like uh but anyway um let's get off of that cuz there's nowhere to go from here thanks Kyler. <laughs> hey hey guys how many times have your hands gotten cold in the deer stand <laughs> i'm just messing with you i'm just playing no it's good man we're glad that you're able to to come back on and and uh, uh you know just share some of the background history of the podcast and kind of play catch up with uh that and bring more of your controversial uh debate into the podcast i hope that people can <laughs> can uh enjoy it entertain and not get uh, offended by it if you uh if there's you never have, if you never have, a shortage of opinions over no, here man if you if your crossbow is ready to go i hope that you use it in the morning and you're successful with it i don't really care um, just, just don't next, come, just don't come year. telling Kyler it's freaking archery equipment. Cause he's not going to agree with you. So next year we need to get Kyler back on and we're going to find the most pro crossbow hunter in the state God, of Louisiana. That will be the best debate. podcast ever. Yeah. I, I'm in man. Find him. I don't even care who it is. Let's do it. We'll set it up like between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. Perfect. Between, between two crossbows. Yep. All right. Well, Kyler, enjoy your season. Thanks for coming on and bullshitting with us and playing catch up. We appreciate it and uh, supporting the efforts moving forward as they've been this year. We appreciate everything you've done, man. Thanks, buddy. Well, good luck to you all. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys. You have a good night. And uh, just remember, guys, we've got some new stuff coming out. It's going to be on the website this week. 
We've got a new Scree camo hat with a new uh, LABH patch on it. It's a really cool-looking hat. We're going to have that out. It'll probably be out by the, uh, on the website and at some of our retailers by the time you uh, you hear this episode. And we got some more stuff, great stocking stuffers. Check it out. And remember, everybody, uh, well, we'll actually be announcing the winner of the November drawing um, by the time this podcast releases. So we'll be in December. But just, you know, we're doing throughout the season. Every order that's placed at LouisianaBowHunter.com is entered into a monthly drawing. We did a, uh, a scree jacket and a Louisiana Bowhunter hat. We did a Buzzard Roost saddle in November. And uh, we got another great prize package for all the orders placed. You place an order, you get in the drawing. You place multiple orders during the month. You get multiple entries into the drawing. Uh, we'll be doing that later this week for November and uh, starting to compile those names for a drawing for December as well. So, you know, shop online with that in mind. And check out our local retailers. They're carrying a lot of our stuff. We're going to be getting some of these new hat designs we got coming out um, this month to our retailers as well. And... Uh, As always, we thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know, and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com, and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.